0: Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, Brian Faldudo was one of the child stars of School of Rock. Now an adult, he talks about bullying, coming out, and finally being comfortable in his own skin.
1: All the different... Kids are encouraged by Jack Black during the film to express themselves and to be themselves and to stick it to the man and not not follow the structure that's imposed on them in the school. So it, it was a liberating experience while it was happening and then afterwards uh, being labeled was not as easy.
0: And then the crew talks about the movies that molded our impressionable young minds. Thanks a fucking lot, Return
2: to Oz. I mean, I don't think it was seeing an adequate representation of myself, but Children of the Corn changed me <laughs> to my core. The movies
0: of my childhood featured plenty of characters who, if they weren't explicitly gay, were definitely queer. There was softball loving Christy in The Babysitter's Club, Iggy and Ruth from Fried Green Tomatoes, and if you think they're not gay, you're watching the film wrong. Pretty much every Disney villain ever, from hard femme Cruella DeVille to master of the smoky eye Jafar. And for a slightly younger generation, there was Billy, a.k.a. Fancy Pants, in the 2003 film School of Rock. Played by a then 11-year-old Brian Faldudo, Billy is the stylist for the band who tells Jack Black, you're tacky and I hate you. But after Brian's star turn, the hate came for him. He was known as the gay kid from the School of Rock before he had a chance to define his own sexuality. Now he's all grown up, and the bullying he faced in school has empowered him as a musician, actor, and life coach. He was also a guest performer at Brooklyn Pride earlier this month, and we're happy he's able to join us today. Welcome, Brian.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, take me back to School of Rock. How did you audition for this role, and how were you cast?
1: Uh, so, School of Rock was actually my second professional audition ever. So, I got a, quite a big head afterwards. Uh-huh. I was like, "Wow, I've got this in the bag."
0: Acting so easy.
1: <laughs> uh, turns out, not so much. But uh, it's a, it's a, it's a hard career yeah I I had an agent who my parents had got for me because they just knew how passionate I was about expressing myself and then the movie was a really supportive environment and it was a it was a great ship to be on obviously it's I feel like it's a pretty legendary film Um, and then afterwards you know a a little bit of backlash
0: (laughs) and you auditioned for a role that was actually sort of like a nerdy tech character is that right? Yeah
1: so they loved so much what I was bringing into the room that they changed the whole role for me and they were like oh wow I think I, I walked into the room and sang a boy Soprano rendition of Send in the Clown. So they were like, well, we need to do something like that with this.
0: And when they talked to you about what this role would become, how did they describe this character of of Fancy Pants to you?
1: They didn't really. It was more so just like be yourself. It was a really supportive environment. It was Richard Linklater was the director, and he did a great job at just making sure the kids all felt supported and comfortable enough to be themselves. And and that's what the whole movie is about, right? It's all the different, besides my character, all the different kids are encouraged by Jack Black during the film to express themselves and to be themselves and to stick it to the man and not not follow the structure that's imposed on them in the school. So it was, yeah, it, w- it was a liberating experience while it was happening. And then afterwards, uh, being labeled was not as easy.
0: <laughs> and talk to me about that experience of being with a classroom full of child actors who were all very diverse and brought their own personalities to it. Um, Talk to me about what that was like forming that type of fake school community.
1: Oh, it was amazing. I mean, we are, we're all still so close. I think we might be one of the only motion pictures who still has an active group text going. (laughs) We're texting each other all the time. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean, we're just, we're all, we all got very close. We spent like four months together nonstop and then there was all the press stuff. And also just, I've talked to some of the other kids and uh, because it was such a big movie, a lot of things have followed you, you know, it's, Uh, for a long time, I couldn't enter anywhere not known as the gay kid from School of Rock. So I never had a chance to to insert my own reputation from the get-go. It was already associated with me, so I had to always just play around that.
0: Right, and so when you were 11... What was your idea of being gay? Did you know that you were gay or queer? What did you think it meant to be gay or queer?
1: All I knew is that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't know if I was gay I was too young to know that as I'm I just I was just acting as myself and enjoying myself and I didn't know All I knew is that I wasn't supposed to be gay if I was gay Um, Because if you think about it, there wasn't many LGBTQ icons in the media at that time. I felt like a lot was thrust upon me at a young age there, I mean, like you could count on one hand the amount of roles in in film and cinema and TV that that depicted that. So I didn't have many like things where I could see myself
0: right and so you went from this very supportive environment while you were filming School mm-hmm. of Rock where you accepted for who you were and then you went back to school so talk to me a little bit about your school environment and um, the type of bullying that you encountered there
1: well I think so there's bullying I will take some responsibility again I had a big head I got cast in my second audition ever so I don't think that it was a little bit of how I carried myself also but at the same time you know one of my theories is if we just stopped making fun of the way people walked and talked in middle school, so many of the problems in the world would be solved. You know, people could just be who they are from the get-go. And I feel like I was not really given that chance because I was just like instantly insinuated with this embarrassing thing or it was meant to be embarrassing, uh, which is sad because the reason I got cast and the reason that character was so successful is because it was so unique and because it was so Unfiltered what I was bringing into the room. And so now my life is about Removing any filter around what is the authentic me? Because I, I mean I've been chasing that for for 15 16 years because I put up 15 years of, of curtain, essentially
0: you mentioned how you didn't have any uh, Representations of queerness in the yeah. media that you could really latch on to I know that you weren't allowed to watch Will and Grace. Like that wasn't part of your, your world. Have you met people who say, oh, Billy from School of Rock was actually, um, I saw, I saw myself in him.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I like weekly, I still get messages on Instagram or Facebook and it's, it's crazy. Um, which is why it's so important. That's, that's why I'm so passionate about the power of authentic storytelling, right? Because that was me at such a young, unfiltered age. And people latched onto that, right? People recognize themselves in me. And so now it's just about reconnecting with that audience, right? And um, letting them know that they should also be themselves and anyone who isn't living their life authentically, how can we get them to do that?
0: And so did you spend part of your middle school, high school years trying to change who you were trying to walk differently, talk differently? Oh,
1: yeah, (laughs) sure did. I didn't come out till senior year of college. So it took a long time. And a lot of people are like so shocked they're like, "Oh, you didn't come out till senior year of college? How is that possible?" You know, cuz cuz of my history. But it's like I convinced myself almost, you know, if you tell yourself a narrative long enough, you believe it. And so I I just convinced myself that I wasn't gay. I I when I found out that I was gay, it was a shock to me honestly. I was like, "Oh, this feels right."
3: <laughs> right, repression
0: is powerful. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that that's true um, often for especially gay men who pursue sort of like Quote unquote stereotypically gay uh, hobbies or extracurriculars in high school, right? Where Sometimes there's the kid who's like in musical theater or, you know, a figure skater who fully embraces themselves and their sure. sexuality and who yeah. they are. But I feel like there's sort of another, especially in the in the 90s and early aughts, there's another pathway where it's like, oh, I'm doing this thing, this hobby, this extracurricular that is looked down upon yeah. by the rest of society as effeminate or something that only gay men do. Right. And therefore, I have to try extra hard to distance myself from that because... In my mind, gay is associated with stigma and and being bad. Sure. Yeah. So you came out senior year in college. Yeah. And you mentioned that you have a lot of that you you had to battle a lot of internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. How did you get over that? Or what is that process like of getting over all of those years of internalizing hatred?
1: Sure. So i like to talk about like narratives and story because I feel like uh, there's a lot of power in a story. Um, and so what happens is there's the story you're telling yourself, right? And then there's your actual story that you're living in the world. And this is what I do with my life coaching too. Um, we try and uncover the story that you're telling yourself so that we can like tell our authentic story in the world, but to uncover that story for me has been like a long journey. Because if this is the narrative you're sitting with for fifteen years, it doesn't. You don't just like flip a switch and and change it the next day. It's it's a commitment to yourself. It, it's a commitment to loving yourself and all that you are and discovering that. Because I didn't really know who I was. So it's like it's it's uncovering all of that and then bringing that out into the world because it's been repressed for for a very long time. It's been scientific, scientifically and neurologically proven that we have the ability to change these stories that we're telling ourselves. And I'm also a proof, I I, I I used to think I wasn't good enough and, and now I know that I am good enough and that I'm worthy of love and that I'm lovable. And these are things that people, they're reversible, but it takes a lot of work. And so I don't think we should have to do it alone, right? We can walk with someone and that's why life coaching I think is a good option for people.
0: And you do a lot of work with LGBT elders as well, is sure. that right?
1: Yeah, I work with Sage occasionally. Um, I Sage perform is amazing. There. For
0: people who don't know about Sage, tell us a little bit about that. Uh,
1: Sage is a, a community center for LGBT elders, uh, which is important because I feel like, especially with that generation, they went so much of their life without that community, and to be able to be able to spend time in their in their elder years with people who have similar interests and to build that community is a really Cool experience. Um, I recently had the opportunity to um, thank uh, a senior, uh, a senior elder who's gay, because like we have it so hard, right? We've had it hard, but like they've had it so much harder. And with the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall coming up, it's like and I just realized in that moment that I had never had an opportunity to thank someone um, from that generation, and it was just a really emotional conversation where I was just like. I mean, thank you for paving the way. It was, um, and he was so appreciative because I feel like sometimes we take it for granted how easy it is for us, even though it's not easy, you know? Um, right. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's crazy. It's a lot to consider.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you said in an interview that I can't help but feel like I would have been unstoppable if mm-hmm. you had gotten the support that you had needed when you were a young person. And I think about, as you're talking about your work with elders as well, just the unrealized potential for LGBT people who never got that support. Um, what type of support do you think that you needed or were looking for? And how can we all be more supportive to our, our LGBT community or for straight people, how can they be better allies?
1: Sure, so I think the most important thing is that we just live and understand our truths and find out what those are for ourselves without other people telling them. So. What we need to do is question everything that's being told to us kind of and and question the thoughts in our own head So it's helpful to have someone guide you especially in the LGBTQ community when there's so much to consider and so much to go through and so much transition to happen Um, Yeah,
0: I'm curious if there was ever a point maybe in high school When you were resentful of School of Rock and the character that you played. Yeah,
1: no, I used to hate it I used to I remember someone in the dining room in college was like, you really don't like talking about this, do you? And I was like, um, it's not that I don't like talking about it. It's just, it, it just, it didn't occur to me when I did it because I was young and I didn't care and I was just having fun that it was going to be such a heavy burden to carry for so many years. Um, and I, it's not, it's not, I wouldn't call it resentment. Um, it was just like, it was just like, okay, well, let me just be Brian for a little while. Let me see what that's like. Cause I never got to to do that. And, and yeah, and I know that's not, like, it wasn't, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, Macaulay McCulkin or something, you know, like, I know that, I know that the role had its impact in its own way. I'm not trying to, like, over, overstate my story, but it's, it was, like, it did have a profound effect on the way I, I grew up.
0: Well, it just seems like there's this added level of complexity on top of just being a child star sure. right like i'm sure many other kids who are in that film get recognized and uh you know have, have had problems moving past it sure. but for you i imagine it also boxed you into yeah. a certain persona that sure. for a while you were trying to distance yourself from
1: yeah and it was also really hard pursuing acting after that because uh people wanted to type me into this role more obviously um and that was really difficult for me because it was so important to me to prove that i can do things outside of the gay kid from school of rock which actually put a lot of pressure on me as an actor and hindered my acting for a really long time because i started to misunderstand what success is and and what what i'm trying to do it's been a long journey but i'm here so
0: and in addition to acting you also are a musician yeah. talk to me about your music.
1: Yeah, so I'm like a I call myself gay country music um, <laughs> uh, Country music's been conservative for a long time. So um, and I love country music um, The reason I love country music is because all the songs tell stories, you know And who better to tell stories than the LGBTQ community? There's so much there and so much to be inspired by and so much that's been overcome so I want to tell those stories through country music and um And uh, I'm really happy to be part of the movement. I think people are like slowly latching on to what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that we're in a real moment, right? With Orville Peck, uh, who is a gay country artist who doesn't reveal his face like Sia. (laughs) And Old Town Road, of course, being a huge hit. Um, What do you think the, the next few years look like for country music? And do you think that there will be... Um, Well, we've already seen some backlash from more country music traditionalists about what country music is and isn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a tough road to navigate, obviously, because it just is conservative. That's just what it is, you know. Um, So we got to break in there. Right. I know country females even have been trying to get on the radio to the equivalent of country males for so long. So it's I think it's going to be a long movement, but I think we're definitely on our way there. People are. The whole world seems to be slowly getting on this bandwagon towards let's just live as our most enlightened, happy selves, you know. Um, It's just about meeting everyone else where they're at and bringing them with us.
0: If you could go back and give your 12-year-old self some advice, what would it be?
1: I mean, I know all the cliches are true, right? It's just... It's just like, be yourself, which I wouldn't have believed though at the time. Right. I wouldn't. So it's hard to say, um, luckily the world is getting safer, I think for the LGBTQ community. So hopefully that advice can be heeded now. Um, I'm trying to send that message through my music and through what I'm doing, but yeah, I mean, that's the advice, just be yourself and, and live your truth, figure out what your truth is and live your truth.
0: All right, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. The crew is back today. I am Mackenzie Fagan, host of 112BK,
2: and joining me we have... I'm Isabel Alcantara. I am the associate producer.
0: I'm
4: Nayan Van, I'm the production assistant for the show.
3: I'm Mira Al-Rahim, and I'm the podcast editor.
2: Hi,
0: you guys. Welcome back. Thanks for having us. Um, So we just had Brian Faldudo on the show, uh, better known as the gay kid from School of Rock, <laughs> oh, which is wow. how he was unfortunately branded for the rest of his life uh, ah, and created some prompts for him. But I wanna talk about films that impacted us when we were kids that also featured other kids. Cause one thing that he said was that he receives emails and messages from people on the reg where like seeing a queer kid when I was a kid really helped me discover mm, who I am. Um, sure. So did you guys have
2: experiences like that with films that you watched when you were young? I mean, I don't think it was seeing an adequate representation of myself, but Children of the Corn changed me (laughs) to my core. Are you sure that you didn't identify with Children of the Corn? Listen, I might have (laughs) at the time. I, I don't know what it did to me in the long run. And uh, mm. something I'm gonna have to deal with in therapy a little later. Uh-huh. But I've seen Children of the Corn probably upwards of 27 times. Who was letting you watch Children of the Corn when you were a child? My brother, who's two years older than me. Mm. Um, so I was—I I might have been nine, and he was 11, and he was like, "Listen, you know what's great? It's Children of the Corn." Do you guys know about Children of the Corn? Yes. No, um, I was gonna I ask for a little synopsis. Okay, if so that's Children cool. Children of the Corn is based on a short Stephen King story and it's basically a story of these kids that were in, like inducted into a blood cult through uh, this like deity that calls himself like the, the one who lives behind the rose huh. and they have to kill all of the adults in their town for them to have like a successful corn harvest. Also, fun fact, they're extremely white. They're very oh, white. Exactly. Oh god, yes, yes
1: this
0: yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. so this is really it's scary. a metaphor oh, hell, just for life. Scary yeah. white kids. That's right.
3: Yeah. I think I might have repressed the memory of watching this movie when I was young, but as you just said, they were really white. I just like was I had a flashback. I mean, triggered.
2: it gave me a lot of tools for when I went to boarding school in Colorado. Right. You know? So, fear, fear the white kids. Fear of white people. Oh yes. good. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't Fair trust enough. them. Don't trust Especially yeah. the super blonde ones. Exactly. <laughs> Do you have a name like Malachi.
3: Mm-mm. I'm, <laughs> I'm running I'm in the opposite
0: direction
2: here. What about you, Naeem?
4: I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of films that I can say, like, oh my God, that was so. I mean, not that it was so great, because I feel like there are films in the 90s that I was just like, that was so cool. But then when we get older, we get more aware, and it's just like. Mm, oh, yeah.
0: Don't rewatch the it? films that were formative. Yeah. You can never go home again.
4: No. Yeah, it's so funny what you're saying about be aware of the white kids, because I feel like there's so many situations in film where it's just like, like Jumanji. Oh yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> oh, I can't. Uh-huh. Can. Are they
2: remaking that? They did, they did. remake they did. it, and it's a video game yes. because of the youths. Oh, it's good. All the new right. one's good, The old one holds up. Um, Jack Black is our
0: thread for the episode here. Oh, yeah. seems like. look at that. Right, School of Rock. Yeah, cool. Um, I was really into. Pippi Longstocking. Oh my god! But the like the original Danish TV show, Danish, <laughs> Danish? Swedish? Good god! Who's to say? Guys, I'm ancient. Really you think that I am your peer, but in <laughs> fact, lost. I am seventy years old. Wow! I was really wow. The, the, wow. This film, these it was like um, a TV series, and it was like a Danish TV production, and they dubbed it for American markets. Creepy. but I didn't understand that when I was a child. <laughs> I was just like, why are their mouths moving so weird? But I feel like Pippi Longstocking, who for those who aren't familiar, is this sort of like independent preteen who lives on her own. And has a horse in the house? Yeah, she has a horse in the house. She lives in a tree. Oh. Uh, her socks don't match. So like she combs just, her hair
2: weird. Like the socks not mm. matching is like the least offensive part of her lifestyle. <laughs> right. It's like, right, she's, exactly. you're fine.
0: Like, Child protective services should be on her immediately. Her dad is a yeah. sea captain who's never home, but it's like, that's cool. She's just figured oh it God. out. She has
2: so much gold. She has
0: a lot of gold. That's right. She also like is friends with pirates. I think, and they're sort of these like two normal suburban pedestrian siblings who um, befriend her, and she teaches them how to be more brave. And so, uh, for me, she was this like very cool, independent, redheaded older woman who was like living <laughs> her life and had a great deal of independence. So I feel like she modeled a type of like uh, female strong role model for me when i was a kid. Oh, i hear that. Yeah, for
2: sure. Mm-hmm. For
0: also, sure. i was like, why does your mouth move like that? I don't understand <laughs> why it doesn't sync up to your words. I was young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. There's I, a lot going on.
3: I think two movies come to mind for me. Um one is Harry Potter, like the whole Harry Potter series. Sure. Mm-hmm. I had a really active imagination as a child and mm-hmm. look, when the first one came out, i was 9 years old and i think it, I, I this might have been a little too ridiculous for an, even a 9-year-old, but i literally convinced myself that i was going to receive like a letter from Hogwarts. Oh, right. We all Actively awaiting our letter. Yeah. yeah, I remember one time me and my friend Kareem tried to escape from his house and go to Platform Nine and Three Quarters. We got as far as the end of his block, and his mom was like running after, <laughs> screaming, not so, "Not so magic! Not so magic!" I don't know
4: how many times I've tried to like find a portal on like the Nostrand train station. Like, there has to a one. There. It
0: like, the Nostrand two three is like not that magic. I'm going to break it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And then the last one. Wait, hold on. Question about Harry Potter. Sure. So I feel like a lot of these stories stories, you know, books that we read or movies that we see with kids, there's like one character who you really identify with and one who you maybe have a crush on and one where you're like, oh, that's who I don't want
3: to be was there someone in Harry Potter who you, you heavily identified with personally? Oh, I, obviously Harry. I yeah. mean, you yeah, I don't even Harry? listen, I've taken that sorting hat test like that sorting, what, the sorting the, hat the, test? The like, yeah.
2: Pottermore thing? Yeah, the Pottermore yeah.
3: thing like seven times I always get Hufflepuff. It really pisses me the fuck <laughs> off.
0: <laughs> Wait, do you guys also identify with Hufflepuff? Yes. And, uh, well, so,
3: yes. yes. Yeah. I'm like half Hufflepuff. Hey, no, I, ca- so I can Hufflepuff. see that it's with so two you. Dude, you're Ravenclaw, Mackenzie. I th- Mackenzie's such <laughs> a Ravenclaw. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Well, look, the Asian characters in Ravenclaw, oh, I don't yeah. know what to say. Like yeah, it's all the representation. I feel seen.
4: Representation. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like whenever I thought about Harry Potter, I can tell like I can remember my classmates telling stories of why their parents didn't make them watch it because they thought it was like witchcraft, like it was the devil's work, so they had said really? you can't watch it. And That's I was real. just like you've missed out. Damn. Like oh my God. Uh-huh. Yeah. As far as like characters, I don't know. I mean you did have I can't even remember his name but i know he's like he's an actor like he was in um how to get away with murder like now like i forget oh, his in, specific he was, he was character's Dean name Thomas. yeah but Dean the only Thomas. person oh, that Thomas. i feel like i kind of identified with was Neville Longbottom because he was like the oh weirdo. God, but he still like came through though. That's like, right. He's hot now. Like that Hero right. Neville Longbottom. He had a real Listen, glow up. He, he is really sexy. did have he a glow sexy. up. Like I was genuinely yeah. like, he's one of those things where like he grew up and everyone was like on the bandwagon. It's just like, no, you weren't with him <laughs> um, from the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Like
0: on these right.
3: phonies, you know. <laughs> you you, you, right. you
0: would have tormented him and bullied him when he
3: was throwing up. Nah, we would have been best buds. That's right. So the second film is Deadpool society. Oh, which captain I watched Oh, my captain, Chasm, my captain. Sure. and that's kind of more YAE so like it's kind of young yeah. adulty in that yeah. sense. Like I yeah. I was a little older than a child when I watched it. I think I was like 15 when I watched it for the first time, but I watched it many times. And I think between Harry Potter and Dead Poet Society there's a recurring like boarding school motif. Yeah. I did go to boarding school, so uh-huh. maybe like this is why these two films resonated with that's me, real. but I loved I love like what the kids in Dead Post Society were wearing. I think they looked so sharp. I continue to were think they, they look all, so sharp. The uniforms. Yeah, it's just that. Oh my god! First of all, I love a man in uniform. I love myself <laughs> in uniform new every day. I mean, yeah, and so they're <laughs> like, true. like are trench coats. They're just so. And chic and i was like what the fuck like why am i going to like look like a like a i don't know 15 year old boy going to boarding school in, in the 1960s in, in connecticut <laughs> yeah like, style
0: icons i think like, a lot of the uh, films that i gravitated to as well had very strong senses of style like the Stanlot. Like, I mean, I'm wearing Converse today, that whole, like, you know, like cuff jean and and
2: Converse look, 1950s classic cool. Yeah, the Sandlot made me gay, for sure. The Sandlot made you gay. Oh, 100%. Say more (laughs) about it. 100%. I mean, like, you look at the Sandlot and you can relate with either the cool kids that are all part of the team or the outcast kid with his crappy fish hat, <laughs> his crappy the fishing bill's too long. Yeah. It's too long. I mean, but come on. But who did didn't that? have a crush on Benny the Jet Rodriguez? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, it's legitimate. But have like, a crush or want to be. I that's guess. what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm like, would you like to be Benny the Jet Rodriguez? Yes. Do you want to step on some cake running away from a dog? Yes
0: that's what I wanted <laughs> that's what I wanted to do I'm sorry Ooh. throw a birthday party that's gonna be the whole
3: that's the conceit that's the whole yeah. deal I would yeah. be right. remiss not to put Matilda out on the table because this is really this was like a very like formative film for a lot of people I mean I who agree. didn't have like I mean who didn't watch Matilda like more than two times 100% example, like, and right? Mar Wilson is queer so and Mar Wilson's queer. queer so and representation. representation
0: and Mrs. Doubtfire and I'm sure some other children's films yeah. that I'm forgetting oh,
3: god I loved that Mrs. Doubtfire too doesn't hold up that one doesn't oh yeah its like tra- it's kind of it's transphobic, like transphobic now. Yeah. transphobic. Oh yes. god. I feel
4: like every. I feel like all of y'all's like references to movies are like so like deep in minds are so like random. Like like Sound of Music. I freaking love That's that. That's it at all. What the hell's random what? about that? I have like, noticed like the. I don't know. I feel like there's always an element of imagination when it comes to the movies I've gravitated towards. I mean, besides like. Sound of Music and Twister like I feel like Bugs Life like I feel like all the animated (laughs) stuff and like all the sci-fi stuff I still appreciate it but I didn't realize until I got older that there were so many stories that I liked but I didn't necessarily like you can see yourself in them but you didn't see them like with your own eyes like I could remember getting coloring books of like certain movies and like cartoon characters and I would literally color them brown just so I can see myself in that type of thing like I can I feel like as far as the human experience and just like the breaking of the four walls and imagination, I could see myself in those, because it was like, if they can do it, I can do it. It's a human experience, I guess. But I was just like, I don't see it quite
0: yet. Yeah, sure, it's a black and white coloring book, where you do whatever you want. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining me to talk about favorite movies. Uh, Let's start a movie club. Sounds great to me. Great. And that's the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show it is to hug a Hufflepuff. You could also review 112BK on iTunes. Also, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. one 2 bk is hosted by me Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargie, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bagosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hagaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Point edited by Mira Al Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Isham.